Welcome to Spinning Back Click, where each week here at MMA Junkie, we take a spin through the biggest stories in MMA. On today's episode, BFL and Bellator's rosters finally merged in the cage. The Francis Ngannou sweepstakes are winding down. We'll tell you who's in the lead. Brandon Royville and Brian Ortega ruined the fiesta down in Mexico City. So there's lots to talk about. Hello, everyone. Gorgeous George here on the con. And look at the distinguished panel we have for you today. SBC creator goes from MMA Junkie Radio. He's in Las Vegas. Matt Wells comes back from the editorial side. He drops in from Dallas, Texas. And Danny Segura, who covered the event for us in Mexico City, he rounds out the panel. Cold coffee, of course, on the ones and twos. But before we get started, if you would kindly tap that like button, like right now, I'd greatly appreciate it. It's the algorithm, baby. That's all I can say. Boom, boom. Let's get this thing popping. Hit the like, please. All right, guys. Bellator, four. PFL, one. That was the score for Bellator. Great night overall for Bellator, right? As their athletes shine in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. However, in the title fights, they did go one and one. So a little face was saved at the end to avoid the sweep, courtesy of Henan Fajeda's quick win over Ryan Bader in the main event. What was your reaction, guys? To the lopsided outcome of the super fights goes we go to you for the first take this week man i was excited for this pay-per-view but what we got what we were presented with day one when they made the announcement was a lot different than what we got on saturday right if you look at some of the matchups that we lost you know megomed karamov uh jesus Pinedo, even if you really think about it like oam has been such a big representative for the pfl that not having those fighters sort of help uh, sort of hurt them on the night of right if you look at uh some of the the matchups i think they just could have been a little bit more competitive i still think maybe bellator would have come up on top but i don't think it would have been this landslide that we witnessed over the weekend right um if you look at some of those those performances man like aj mckee he just looked like he was a whole step uh, above clay collard that was such an important victory for him and so quick that he was able to do that and dominate. And then you look at Nemkov, he looked like an absolute monster. Jason Jackson looked, looked terrific. Uh, yes, Ray Cooper, you know, he was filling in on short notice, but he's won tournaments in the past. Like he, he was a pretty strong representative in, in the past for the PFL. So things didn't really work out too well. You look at Impa Kasanganai. I thought he had a pretty strong performance and may have let that one slip away over Johnny Evelyn. Uh, Johnny Evelyn, you know, again, he's shown us that he can kind of go through adversity a little bit, change things in his game, and come back and get the win. But that was a tough out for him. The only bright side there was just that main event. And I think, you know, I don't know. Had, had things gone PFL's way, uh, I just don't know, man. Like, I, I still think overall Bellator kind of proved they, they were the, the better product. But you never know. You know, there could be some more matchups later on, and maybe they could save a little bit of face that way. But, uh, at the end of the day, I think we're all just going to judge it on this one night. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt, what were your thoughts on the event? The lopsided 4-1 win for Bellator, man. They almost broomed them, if not for Fajeda. Yeah, they almost did. I think the the main event, with, like as you just mentioned, Fajeda, I think that was the the most uh, easiest predictable one for me um, because I, I saw that one coming a mile away. Like Ryan Bader's always had trouble with that style of fighter, um, and he sparked him quickly and made it look easy. So that was, that wasn't so much of a surprise, but for the rest of the card, man, I, I thought PFL would put up a better showing. I liked the co-main event. Johnny Eblen and Impa was a good fight. And that was a particular fight that made me wish that these championship fights, these, you know, whatever they're going to call them for these, for the super belt with the ring inside, which is cool, by the way, I like that. I like that design. I think that's pretty dope. Um, but I wish these fights were five rounds. Like it felt like after Eblen and Kasanga and I fight, I was like, I need two more rounds of this. It was a mm-hmm. solid fight. It could have been, you know, a much, much more talked about fight with two more rounds. It could have been one of, you know, those classic fights that we talk about at the end of the year, like fight of the year candidates, sort of thing. But um, Bellator did uh, did did what I expected him to do, man. I mean, they're just better across the board, I think. You know, you already mentioned AJ McKee, fantastic performance. He completely shut down Clay Collard before he could get going. And I, I that was my question going into that fight. I was like, how is AJ going to handle Clay Collard's volume? You know, and his his willingness to just stay in the pocket and trade. Nope, didn't get to see any of that. AG McKay just wrapped him up and submitted him before any of that could get started. So it was just an impressive performance for Bellator across the board. 
But uh, the event as a whole, I think it was a good starting point for this sort of thing. You know, they say they're going to do it every year. I hope that's true because I like things, you know, with the presentation aspect of it, even though there were a lot of a lot of rocky moments on the prelims. You know, they had audio issues throughout. Like they kept going to the guys for the betting angles and their audio was just not working until like the main card. Like they kicked it to them two or three times, complete silence. Um, when Clarissa Shields walked out, the camera people were focusing on some other random lady rocking down the down the aisle instead of Clarissa Shields. A lot of weirdness on the prelims, but once they got to the main card, the pacing was great, which is a, a big gripe for PFL broadcasts is always the pacing. Yeah, yeah, that was present again on the prelims, but not when they got to the main card. It was like, boom, it felt like a UFC event. Everything felt felt fluid, felt smooth. So I think as a whole, it was a good starting point. But I know that PFL, at the end of the day, you know, leading into that main event, you know, Don Davis and Pete Murray had to be looking at each other like, uh, I don't know, I don't know if we want to do this again because we're looking pretty bad on the PFL <laughs> PFL side for the scoreboard. But uh, solid start, and uh, if they do do it all, you know, again as a yearly thing, I'm intrigued to see what it looks like next year, especially with the matchups. You ain't lying, Matt. Every time both of those gentlemen had to step in there with Ray Sefo, you know, you could just tell they were uncomfortable, you know, wishing it was more evened up, man. And again, Fajeda, even the score, uh, not sorry, the, the title fight score, which was originally going to be four title fights, but at least they saved the little face there. It was the main event. It was the lasting impression, but I've seen it all over socials. We're seeing it here in the chat, and I'll get to that as well. Bellator, greater than PFL, so it's quite a hit. But, Danny, let's go to your thoughts. Uh, what did you think of the outcome of these matchups? It was it was lopsided. Yeah, I'm going to pull off an Nate Diaz here and say I'm not surprised, motherfuckers, because, I mean, on paper, if you just look at both rosters, I felt like we've already had the answer to who the promotion, who, um, what promotion had the better roster, and that was Bellator by a long shot. Now, I do think that the PFL was doing things better, and maybe that's why, you know, before the sale, a lot of people were debating that number two spot being for PFL just because they're an ESPN+, Plus, they're more visible, they seem to be investing a lot more in the marketing but as far as who had the most talented roster, I have no doubt it's Bellator. And I think, you know, the record proves uh, my my theory and, and a lot of people's theories. Um, I agree with Matt. I don't think this is a good look for PFL now, especially because they're keeping both brands separate. If they were going to do a merger, you go, well, the Bellator fighters look great, but now they're PFL fighters. So PFL fighters overall look great, right? But now you're going to keep these two different promotions running. And basically, you just pretty much announced to the world that the eight series events of Bellator, that's kind of like the premier product. And all of a sudden, the PFL regular season bouts and all this eh, don't look as great um, or are maybe a tier below. So um, not a great result for PFL. Um, ideally, I, I think you want to blend in both rosters and, and really embrace the Bellator fighters and be like, these are our guys now. This is exactly why we signed them, because they're legit. Now we have a, a, a great roster uh, rather than keeping both uh, brands separate. But, yeah, we'll see how this all unfolds. I know it's very new. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of changes in the future. But in terms of your original question, George, I am not surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well put. And, you know, I hadn't thought of it like that, Danny. Almost, I'm going back to the Raw and SmackDown days of them separating the talent and then people running to say which one they would prefer or – whatever so it will be interesting to watch the eight events this year and if it will be put up on a, a pedestal i guess because of this what do you think goes how long can it take pfl to dig out of this kind of hole like will it take a few matchups or uh, a, a, a specific matchup where maybe all of a sudden we're just kind of leaving that alone the whole bellator greater than pfl uh i think it might take a minute you know even a specific matchup like let's let's just say right um Francis Ngannou to to us is like he's never even fought for the PFL. So like even if he were to go in there and, and let's say he gets past Pereira and he and he fights another Bellator guy, like it's not really gonna matter too much. But you know, I will say this though, man, I gotta applaud them for even doing it this way because a lot of people wouldn't put themselves out there to go head to head with another organization. We actually had this go down in our studio one time, George. I don't know if you remember with Andrew Simon, where a question just kind of came out. And they put together two two uh, organizations fighting against each other. It's not easy to do, 
And uh, you take a chance, like Danny said, like it didn't really look too well for the PFL. I think maybe they could gain a little face here and there, but uh, I think at the end of the day, everything gets judged on this one night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what do you think, man? Like, I mean, should they even worry about it? Danny really made a good point there about the whole, like, why are we tuning into the the B squad versus, you know, the A squad? Or I, I, I don't know, man. I'm still trying to unpack just that one thought. What, what do you think? Yeah, it's I mean, I think they can they can get some momentum back, you know, depending on how they go with this going forward, because it was a surprising sort of thing to hear on the broadcast saying like, hey, we're going to do this again next year sort of thing. And, you know, it's just like, OK, well, you're. Like like Danny said, like you just proved that Bellator has a clear edge, but PFL does have fighters under their banner that could show up at this event next year that can make things a little bit more interesting. Again, it just depends on how the matchups play out and who's available and whatnot and all that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, it's just one of those weird things though that right out of the gate you almost get swept. It doesn't. It's not a good look. You know, it's. I don't know. I don't know where they can go from here, but I do want to. I do want to point out one comment before we get too far off of this about the presentation stuff since I highlighted on it. Uh, Crisco Wild in the chat there said, you know, PFL versus Bellator had a whole half hour of nothing at the start of the prelims before the first fight, and I hated that. Man, I had to pull off this and, you know, dust off the good old WTF (laughs) button here for this because they did not broadcast the beginning of the show as a pre-show. They said, noon, fights are starting. We had to sit there for 49 minutes before the opening bell of a fight started. Absolutely wow. ridiculous. And I need PFL to start respecting people's time um, because that is just like insane. Call it a pre-show. Say fights are going to start or at least the lead into the fight's going to start at 1230. Like, why are you going to have people sitting here for a damn near an hour expecting fights to start and you're just giving us repeat filler? It wasn't new filler. It was like 10 minutes filler, and then we're going to go back to the previous thing we already talked about. And then it, it was just, it was a mess, man. The prelims were a complete mess. I, I know I had a lot of good things to say about the main card, but I, I was pretty pissed at the prelims mm-hmm. <laughs> presentation-wise. Yeah, pacing is so important. That's why I'm a big fan of bare knuckle, the way they throw it at you. You get to the fights you want to see real quick, and along the way, if there's a gem, it's like, okay, you know, gravy, right? Mm-hmm. But – uh, here's a few other comments from the chat. Like Matt pointed out, you can participate in the show via Facebook or YouTube. You know, we're broadcasting on both platforms. So if you write something there, the better ones, the better comments and questions, the better substance, right? We'll use it here on the show. Here's a good one. Michael Panza says, Jason Jackson is a beast. He's trained with killers for years. Nice to see him getting some love. I'll shout out Michael Panza because that's that's a sharp comment right there. Jason Jackson's part of kill cliff and think about all the welterweights they've had over there over the years uh starting with kamara uzman and gilbert burns ian gary made a pit stop there vicente luque so yeah that is where jason jackson honed his skill and shout out to jason jackson for really Shotgun. really turning things around shafgat how could i forget him you're right uh he's really really turned things around jason jackson man really really uh nice turnaround for him josh wallace in the chat says bader's not a true heavyweight and Bellator heavyweights have always been trash, so that title fight doesn't say anything to me, but sets up Nganu, uh matchup nicely. I wouldn't go that far. I think Bader filled in nice from his 205 frame, the heavyweight frame. He's won the title. He's defended it. He, he's 42, and he ran into a six foot eight freight train in Hennon Fajeda. So that might be a bit much, Josh. Now, you're right. There, the history of that weight class hasn't been the most impressive uh, maybe they got Fedor a little bit too late, but how about I shut up and we go to Danny because the panelists are the stars of the show and he's got something to say. Go ahead, go ahead, Danny. Yeah, I just ha- I just have to read a a little bit of Jason Jackson's current win streak because I feel like he's probably one of the the most underrated fighters today. Um, look at his current win streak. First of all, he hasn't lost since 2019. He's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight fight win streak right now, and it includes some of these names. Jordan Mean, Benson Henderson, Naaman Gracie, Paul Daly, Douglas Lima, Amosov, and now Ray Cooper III. Uh, Dude, I'm not out here calling Jason Jackson the best welterweight in the world, but damn, that's a sturdy resume right there. And I would consider him among the best, and I would say he's one of the least talked about, one of the most underrated talents right now in MMA. Mm -hmm. So Cooper's a former champ of a major belt. 
Amasov was undefeated, also a champ. Lima was a champ as well. And who were the other names? Daly was a long time. Oh, Daly. Naaman Gracie, who fought for a title. Benson Henderson, former UFC champion. Jordan Mean, pretty, pretty yep. solid name. Pretty, pretty Let's not solid. Forget he was on a contender series, and he had that ankle injury. Imagine what could have happened if that didn't go down. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, one last thing I'll say. I wore a PFL hat last week, so I will take my medicine. I thought somehow they'd pull off a 3-2 or whatever. But this is what I said last week, and this is my last defense for PFL, because they got to take this L properly. Um, they did get beat up pretty bad, right, 4-1. But right here there's a comment that says, from Frozen like Elsa, it was a big missed opportunity for the PFL, and Bellator was truly a B-league card with a half-empty arena. Well, sorry, I, I must have misread. Um, I think they are trying stuff, and they got partners out there, and so good on them. I, I'm okay with it. Um, what I was going to say was, as much as we're going to beat up on them, MMA is this sport that goes from week to week, and then we have these short memories. But remember, a lot of UFC guys have gone to the PFL and gotten served up. So we've tipped our hat to them before. They'll take the L now, but it doesn't mean – that they're way down here and Bellator's way up there. I think it was just a night of fights. Let's see how the, the year plays out. Maybe we'll revisit this. Mm -hmm. um, we move on, though. All right. So the Francis Ngannou MMA sweepstakes are starting to wind down. Remember, this is a huge, huge opportunity for his future opponent, with two M's being the reported payout of any of the Predators' future MMA foes. You got to believe that Hennon Fajeda is in the pole position after last year's PFL Finals win and Saturday's dub over Vader. Are you in or are you out on Nganu versus Fajeda, Matt? Yes, I am in. I'm in 100% um, because aside from, you know, the, the dream matchup that everybody wants to see in John Jones and Francis Nganu, I think this is the best next available option. Um, and I think, you know, again, going back to kind of what we talked about in the first question, uh, with PFL versus Bellator, I think PFL had the best possible outcome with Fajera winning that fight in the manner that he did because he needed to go out there and look like an absolute monster in order to help sell this fight against Francis Ngannou if and when that does happen. So you have him go out there, spark Bader in 21 seconds. You look like a monster. You're six feet eight. You can now say you knocked out a Bellator heavyweight champion or a two-division Bellator champion and you did it with quickness, without getting touched, these are the sort of things that you need to have on your resume to help sell a fight against Francis Ngannou to the public. You know, a, a fight against Francis Ngannou who's about to step in there with Anthony Joshua, who's already been in there against Tyson Fury, who's had the UFC championship run. You need you need somebody like Fajardo, man, and I think that was the best outcome possible. So I'm all in on this fight, given the result of what happened at PFL versus Bellator Champions out in Riyadh um, because I think if let's just, um, let's just pretend Bader won this fight and won this fight by grinding out 15 minutes of wrestling and, you know, wall installed type of fight, would we be excited about Bader versus Ngannou? I don't think so. <laughs> so a 21 second knockout by the six foot eight guy who looks super scary is a lot easier to sell. And uh, I think that's the fight that hopefully, you know, once PFL, clears up whatever confusion that there may be present with Nganu. Hopefully this is the fight that they go with, you know, if UFC, because we know UFC is not going to play ball and be like, okay, let's do Jones and Ganu. Let's cross promote. We know that's not going to happen. So we, we have to be all in on, uh, on Nganu and uh, Ferreira here. Matt, do you think something might be happening behind the scenes? I mean, Nganu has stated that's who we'd like to fight. His coach, Eric Nixick, was on Junkie Radio saying the same thing. Um, but we didn't have a face-off. And face-offs, you know, those go a long way. Exactly. I think that's why there was – I don't know if it's necessarily some confusion or some miscommunication or whatnot, but the fact that Nganu, when they put the camera on Nganu after Fajeda got his hand raised, you know, Nganu is just clapping hands, you know, dabbing everybody up in the crowd. He's like, all right, guys, peace. No, like Nganu should have been in the cage doing a face-off, like to get oh. this set up. So, like, I'm not sure what happened there behind the scenes. If there was miscommunication, if it was never communicated, we don't know yet. But hopefully, there's no sort of thing like to where Nganu is just being like, "No, I'm not fighting anymore in the PFL." 
you know, of course, a lot of this will hinge on what happens with Joshua as well. So, you know, I think there's going to be a little bit of a wait and see sort of thing going on. All right, Danny, we go to you for a second there. I thought a Chupacabra removed you from the set, but you're back. Um, Danny, are you in or out on Nganu versus Fajeda? I mean, I think, uh, you know, we were just talking about how this wasn't a great night for PFL, but I think this was probably their be best outcome in terms of individual fights. I've been saying for the begin since the beginning that I, I thought that the fight between Hen and Ferreira and Francis Ngannou would have been extremely interesting um, as far as just the styles itself. It probably wouldn't be a big fight just because Hen and Ferreira is not that well-known, but if the PFL really invests a lot of their marketing um, assets into Ferreira, they could, they could make it into something because, I mean, as Matt pointed out, there is something there, dude. The dude's 6'8", shredded, got a six-pack. Uh, he's freaking melting everybody. Uh, he's very much like a Brazilian Francis Ngannou. So um, I'm all in for that fight. I think he just made it bigger because now Henan Ferreira not only won the season, but also defeated a heavyweight champion, belter heavyweight champion, Orion Bader. So it just makes the fight even bigger. They need to push this guy as much as possible in order to make that fight with Francis Ngannou feel as big. Because I do believe that Henan Ferreira, if you drop him in the UFC right now, he's probably top 10. So um, this, is a, this would be a big fight. Uh, but I, I, I want to make a little parenthesis here, and I know that this is a little bit off topic, but I have to say it. Um, I, I we we kind of not back, but like we we very much reported on and supported Francis Ngannou's uh, free agent move and all that because you know that's that's the way how sports should work, right? And and you ha you're happy for for Francis Ngannou to get the bag and all that. Um, but I'm not liking what I'm seeing from Francis Ngannou. And I'm not saying you got to be uh, a super company man. And yet these guys at the end of the day are independent contractors. But look, uh, PFL has treated you very, very well and has been giving you a lot of free reigns, as they should, uh, for your boxing career and this and that, and has given you a lot of um, uh, benefits to your, to your career. And part of the reason why his free agent move has been so successful was because of PFL. Uh, and nowadays, you see Francis Ngannou, I feel like, completely disrespecting PFL. Yeah, maybe nobody at PFL told him uh, that he didn't have to face off against Hannah Ferreira. But what do you do? You go, no, no, no I'm going to go in there, even if I'm not going to fight this guy, because we don't know if that's ever going to be done officially. But I'm going to go in there, face off. I'm going to go in there, uh, do some interviews, talk about the fight, highlight the fight, because you know, these guys are paying me, right? Like, I, I got I to gotta sort of live up to my end of the deal. But instead, you get him leaving right after the fight, and you also get him, you know, calling out John Jones every now and then in interviews and saying that's his dream fight when we know that fight's not going to happen. Him saying he doesn't, he doesn't close the door in the UFC, this and that. If I'm PFL, I start thinking that investment, and in, 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 I don't know, I start having a sit down and a talk with friends and guys like my guy. Um, this is a two way street here. It's it's not only one way, so. I don't know. That's that's all I'm gonna highlight because we we gave a lot of props to Francis Ngannou on his way out to the UFC and everything that he's done as we should. But I don't feel like he's uh, handling this quite well. I think that's fair. All right, well put. Goes um, Fajeda, excuse me, Ngannou versus Fajeda. Are you pretty much all in on this one? It looks like Fajeda, you know, has the resume as of late to be the guy. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Uh, we go back to maybe last year. I didn't have too much interest in this. I was looking more at some of the free agents that they could possibly bring in. But uh, after the last two performances, dude, this dude is a monster. He looks really good. He looks like he's improving. And he just doesn't get the respect that he deserves in mixed martial arts. I think he gained a little bit of that this past weekend. But I'm with these guys. Like The fact that you miss out on that opportunity to bring both fighters in the cage and really promote what is next kind of doesn't make things look too steady. I mean, that's one hell of a holding pattern that you got to sit through if you're Fajaya, because think about it. You just have to show up and fight, and you're guaranteed a huge, massive paycheck. So to not really know what the next move is there, that can be a little alarming. And, and just the amount of uh, time that was put into the Nganu Jones storyline, right? And and how happy some of the commentators looked as they were talking about that. It just kind of made everything a little confusing. That fight, look, man, we'd all love to see John, Jones fight Ngannou, but it just doesn't seem like those are in the cards. I don't know that that's going to happen. And that sucks because, you know, we've always tried in mixed martial arts to kind of get away from that boxing model where you will have 
two great fighters that you want to see face off, but because of promoters and all that, we don't get to see that in MMA. We were so, uh, so happy to be able to put those types of fights together. And now it's kind of looking a little bit more like boxing in that sense. And then you don't really have the next step with those guys. I'm kind of with Danny. This is, uh, I'm not saying PFL has to grab Ngannou by his shirt and tell him what the hell are you doing, but they do have to have some sort of sense of direction, especially on fight night, because uh, fight night, everything has to go perfectly. And there were some kind of weird moments and questions surrounding all that. Good stuff, guys. You're right. And, you know, we do have some uh, footage of Nganu and Jones meeting. Oh, I got a follow up for you guys. Right. But let's go to this real quick. There's not much to be from the audio, but just seeing them again, sizing each other up. And you can already feel like not necessarily tension, but I think excitement of what could come. The biggest balls right there. The biggest tease, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Not, you know, no real face off, no shove or anything. A lot of respect, but still it's, it's that um, dream matchup ever since, you know, like a Couture and Brock or well, that actually went down. Sorry, Couture or Fedor or Fedor Brock. This Mm -hmm. is the matchup a lot Mm -hmm. of people would have wanted to see and, we haven't seen, but guys, since the deck's been reshuffled a little bit, Nganu's kind of more towards the boxing side. He's given a little bit of a Heisman, I guess, towards PFL and facing off against Fajeda. Let me ask you guys this. What's your gut tell you about Nganu versus Jones happening one day? Possible or pipe dream, Matt? I mean, fingers crossed it does happen, right? And it happens within like at least the next three years, if it's going to happen before these guys start getting too old and, you know, start to lose their, their, you know, their, their best versions of themselves. Um, it's going to take, it's going to take Francis going back to the UFC though, because as some comments in, in the chat are talking about right now, you know, what if, what if Saudi just threw a ridiculous amount of money towards the UFC, UFC is going to be like, no, like protecting our three letters is more important than co-promoting. And doing it for you know a few hundred million dollars or whatever it's going to be, um, they did it with Connor. They you know they let Connor go box Floyd because it was not an MMA fight; it was a boxing fight, and you know it's a different different arena, so to speak, altogether. But they're not going to co-promote with a fellow MMA promotion just to make this sort of fight happen because the UFC doesn't need it. For one, they're they're killing it. You can see they're they're opening PIs all across the globe. They're profiting more than they ever have. And they just, they really, this is one fight that as much as everybody wants to see it, and I'm sure even Dana as a fan wants to see it, he doesn't need to see it, so to speak, at the, at what it's going to cost his brand, so to speak. So yeah, hopefully it does happen. And I do want to say one thing about that clip real quick. You you see the, the mutual respect between those two guys as they're kind of playfully, you know, Johnny boy sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Both men in their heads are thinking, I can kick this dude's ass. And mm-hmm. both men are probably right. That's what's fascinating about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. They got to be sizing each other up. All right, we go back to Danny in Mexico City. Um, what's your gut tell you about Nganu and Jones happening one day? Forget about possible or pipe dream. How about si se puede or no mames way? I'm going to say no mames, bro. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> the UC doesn't like to co-promote. Um and I don't see, I don't see John Jones fighting out his contract. From what I understand, he has a lengthy contract left. And Francis Ngannou, I feel like he's just too busy with the world of boxing. Um, and look, Matt mentioned, and I disagree here with Madness. And he says, you know, maybe in the next three years before these guys get too old. I feel like they're getting too old right now. I feel like we got one good year at most from both of these guys. Um, the new generations here, the Tom Aspinalls, all these the new names, I think that, that's what's going to be coming in the next two or three years. So, look, if they find a way to make it in the next year, great. Uh, you know, I'd be the happiest guy. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I think John Jones is going to do one or two more. He's got a big legacy to protect. Remember, he's never actually lost, although officially he has one. And Ngannou, man, he's making so much money. He's going to fight Joshua, maybe one more, and then just kick his feet up and enjoy life as he should. Mm-hmm. All right. Goes unanimous. Uh, or no, I'm sorry. Matt thinks it's possible. Danny's like, nah. What do you think? I don't think it's going to happen. It's just not in the UFC's nature, right? And, you know, that clock, I feel like it's, it's ticking a little bit more on the John Jones side. I mean, 
at light heavyweight, weren't we all kind of saying, hey, is this guy kind of slowing down a little bit? Some of these guys are catching up to him. Um, it's been a minute, man. He's had a hell of a career. I just don't think we have the time to, to put this together unless they co-promote. And we just don't don't see the UFC do that type of thing. And it's it's unfortunate, you know, because this fight, like Matt said, they both have a very good case. It would be really hard to pick that fight. And the longer we wait and the more this boxing experiment goes on for Francis Ngannou, the more of an excuse there is if he loses, right? Well, I haven't been training MMA. I've been doing boxing. It, it just doesn't feel right. I feel like it has to happen sooner than later, but I just don't think it's going to happen. You know, Jones had said that he is warming up to Miocic, Aspinall, and Ngannou at some point. Man, that would be epic. And if he could pull that off, I'm sorry, even though it would only be three title defenses, and Miocic has four. He would go down as the greatest heavyweight ever, along with the greatest light heavyweight ever. And he's kind of already the greatest ever to begin with. But imagine just having all those unofficial titles. That would be pretty epic if he can do it. And I know Jones fans are excited about the possibility. But we shall see. It does look like Ngannou versus Fajeda is the play. Can I sneak in one more? Just one of you answer this. We don't have time. We have to move on. But is anyone almost thinking Fajeda really has a better shot of beating Nganu, who's removed two years from MMA, by the way. And Fajeda's obviously a beast. He's getting better. Like, is this not, is this maybe more evenly matched than before? Anyone want to take that one? I feel like it is. I, I feel like if, uh, you know, like I said, I feel like the guy's improving, but at the same time, it starts to level out a little bit because Francis Ngannou just isn't doing mixed martial arts. He's concentrated on boxing. This isn't a guy who's like a high-level boxer that's just, you know, trying to get better. This is a guy that hasn't really done that much boxing. He has a a big gap to fill, especially when you're talking about guys like Joshua, Tyson Fury. So I imagine if he has done mixed martial arts, it's been sporadic here and there. And we all know what happens when you when you're out of that gym in MMA, it hurts your performance. So I would say, yeah, it starts to level out a little bit. Matt, you had a little expression on your face. What are you thinking? Is it still Nganu all day, or, or do you think Fajeda's got a shot at this? It's still Nganu. Like, if I'm picking or betting any of those things, I'm going Nganu. But there's a part of Fajeda at this point in his career where there's just, like, that certain level of fearlessness. You know, like, he doesn't – he would go in there and just, you know, throw all caution to the wind and basically just try to make something spectacular happen. I mean, you would give him a little bit of credit for that, but I, th- I still think Ngannou would would handle business. Mm-hmm. Poo-poo Sabai in the chat says, Ngannou will not lose. Uh, Spencer Barron in the chat says, Fajeda KOs Ngannou. And Crisco Wild says, I'd pick Ngannou over Fajeda. Everyone should know better by now than to bet against Francis. Josh Wallace, thank you for answering David Dean's question in the chat. David, if I can get to it at the end, I'll expand on it. It's a good question, and it's relevant because Mokayev fights this week. But we need to move on to topic number three. Great stuff, guys, so far. By the way, halfway through the show, still another half hour to go. It's a weekly show, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, live, as you can see. Help us grow the channel and this show by hitting the like button and subscribing. Guys, Brandon Royville and Brian Ortega spoiled a fiesta down in Mexico City. Both fighters were 0-1 versus their respective opponents coming into these matchups. So now the score's even. Which performance impressed or surprised or both you the most? Danny? This was a tough one because I want to give Brandon Royal so much praise because he took the fight on short notice, um, you know, against somebody who had all, he lo- who he had already lost to. Sorry, but man, I got to highlight Brian Ortega here. I, I I'll admit it, and I'll admit that I was wrong here. I had said on my Spanish YouTube channel that I, I just had so many concerns around Brian Ortega, and I honestly didn't expect him to be the same fighter that that Brian Ortega that we once knew. I felt like that was a thing of the past. He had uh, gone through so many wars, 33 years old, um, two shoulder injuries, had multiple surgeries, a year plus layoff. Plus, you're, you're going to fight Jair Rodriguez in Mexico at altitude. And from what I understand, he did not train at a high altitude. He showed up Friday, the Friday before the event, um, like the week before. So I just thought like everything was stacked against Ortega, and I just didn't expect to see 
him doing what he did. And then you see him roll his ankle literally like seconds before the fight starts. I'm like, all right, yeah, he's done. Uh, but look, he went out there. He, he took a, a proper beating like a true uh, Mexican in, in that first um, round and then came back to win the second and submitted the third. Look, he, I wouldn't say he, he over exceeded my expectations in terms of the previous version of Brian Ortega that I had in my mind, but he looked vintage. Brian Ortega, still tough as hell, really durable, excellent jiu-jitsu. I think his takedowns improved a little bit. Um, the dude's a threat, and the dude is, is back. I don't know how much of Brian Ortega has left at 33, um, but I do think at least we're going to get a year or two. He like completely uh, surpassed my expectations, and, and I think we got a very interesting player now back at 145 pounds. Mm-hmm. It is a tough question for sure. Both guys stepped up, man. How about you guys? Who impressed or surprised you the most between Brandon Royville and Brian Ortega? <laughs> Nightmare question, man. When I saw this pop up, even right now as I'm speaking, I still don't even know that I have a definite answer. But really when you play through it all, Ortega hurting himself you know, before it even starting, um, his mindset is what I think has changed here a little bit. The, the confidence is just absolutely oozing out of him. And, uh, you know, once the fight started, having to go through his ankle, as Kenny's showing us right now, like having to go through that and then kind of getting pieced up early on. Like, it's not like we can look at Yair Rodriguez and say he had an off night. Like, he had a pretty good night. Brian Ortega dug deep. He came back and he was able to get the finish in that fight. I just think that says so much about him. If you look at Rival's case, like, he smothered Brandon Moreno. That I, I haven't seen people do that too much to Brandon Moreno, where they're able to kind of make him defensive the whole night. He didn't have the opportunity really to do much offensive because Brandon Royville just didn't quit on short notice, too. The guy's cardio was just absolutely amazing in that fight. He was the bigger underdog of the two. So, man, it, it's so tough. I, I think in the end, because Ortega just kind of showed us that um, – he can maybe continue to do stuff like this. He still has to shore up some things, some deficiencies in his game, but man, the guts to come back and get the finish. I think I lean Ortega just a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right. How about you, Matt Wells? I know it's a tough one, man. Both guys really, really stepped up uh, and feel free to say neither one of those guys, the black shirt up and he also had a good night, but no, really. Uh, what'd you think here, man, between these two? No, it was a, it's a tough question to answer, you know, definitively because both guys really had incredible, incredible performances, man. Um, but I lean a little bit more towards Brandon Royval. Um, the volume that he was able to put on um, Brandon Moreno and just keep going at that altitude as well, you know, like five hundred punches, like is crazy volume. Even if a lot of those were hitting the guard of Moreno, um, but that volume really stifled what Brandon Moreno's, you know, was trying to do and he couldn't really get his offense going. So you just kind of overwhelmed a guy with that pressure and that volume and that, and that pace, you're going to not only win a lot of fights, but I mean, you're going to look really impressive doing it. And you look at his record, man, Brandon Roy Val, he's only lost in the UFC to Brandon Moreno before and the current champion and Pantoja. He's lost twice. So getting that third matchup is going to be tough, but man, I, I, I think, between those two, between T City and and Raw Dog here, I'm I'm leaning Raw, Raw Dog because now not only does he put himself in an interesting position, but he also puts the man he beat in an interesting position as well. Because I've seen a whole lot of questions from fans about where does Brandon Moreno go from here? You know what was wrong with him? Like everybody was questioning his performance. And I mean, you just got to give Raw Dog credit, man. Like it's hard to overcome a guy that's throwing 500 punches at you for 25 minutes. For sure. And we'll go back to you, Matt, and let's just go with the follow-up here. UFC Noche is going to take place at the Sphere in Las Vegas. It's actually a pay-per-view, so it's going to be a pretty big event. Now, I'm sure it'll have a title fight or whatever uh, at the top of the bill, and and who knows if Ortega just may have walked into one. I don't know. But what I want to know is, do you want to see trilogies out of these matchups, and would that be the night to do it? I mean, why not? Why not? I mean, we're we're talking about an event that's going to be a memorable one for from, you know, presentation aspect. So why not? Let's get some trilogies on there. Trilogies are historic, you know, matchups. So, you know, whichever way you want to go with it, I'm, I'm here for it, man. Um, I think uh, Pantoja, Pantoja and Raw Dog. I mean, why not? Let's 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 put a title fight on there. It's going to be that it's going to be that pay-per-view like you mentioned. I think that would be a good one to do. 
Uh, but there are there are the good options. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how they, how it all shakes out. But yes, to answer your question, I, I'm in in on that. There are some options. Joseph Boza is participating uh, in the chat. He's saying Henry Cejudo wants Brandon at UFC 306. So yeah, maybe maybe yeah. just one of the two. But goes. How about you, man? Option A would be both. Option B would be one of the two, and you can tell us who. Or option C is like nah. I think one of the two, you know, we're so rematch heavy in the UFC. I don't even know that Brandon Reno knows there's other people in his weight class. I mean, he's been fighting the same guys over and over. So he might be going, Henry Cejudo, who's that? Like, he just sees the same names over and over again. So I would say maybe uh, one out of the two. Yes, I remember when we had Marino on, dude. We must have, his last 12 fights have been like four. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're right, you're right. All right, how about you, Danny? What, What do you warm to here? Both? None or one of the two? I would say one. I also think we're a bit early. Like, you know, we're pretty far off from September. I would assume that most of those guys would want to fight again before Nocho Whiff is hit. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. But give, give me one. Give me one. You know who we got to get on there is that dude in the crowd. He had two knockouts, man. Get him on the contender. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, that dude packs the people. He sure did. And there must be some openings at that arena for security. If anyone's looking for J-O-B, because no one was interested in stopping that. Josh Wallace in the chat says, exactly, does Albazi have have the draw? Albazi was supposed to be, you know, factored in here, making a title run. But I think I I heard a neck surgery from one of the guys, Nolan or Mike, on last week's show. So, Yeah, neck, neck injury. So we'll see what happens there. Let's move on, though. And remember, questions, comments in the chat, the best ones get on. And we move on here. Two events on Saturday afternoon and later in the evening between PFL uh, versus Bellator, excuse me, and UFC Mexico. I want to know, guys, what fighter gained the most traction outside the co-main and main events? So not the title fights at PFL versus Bellator and not the ones we just discussed in topic number three. Uh, Goes, who made a splash? Uh, for me, it had to be Daniel Zaluber, man. Dude, he stood out big time. Like What I liked about him was when you look at the fight, right? Round one, that probably wasn't his round. But he goes back into his corner, and he's listening to his coaches, and his coaches are giving him perfect uh, perfect adjustments in the fight, right? Good job. He, he took all that. He made that adjustment. He came back, and I believe that's what led him to win the fight. And you don't see that a lot from fighters. And you, honestly, you don't see that a lot from coaches, right? We found out you didn't need eyes this weekend, right? Like sometimes you don't get the right information, but this dude took that. He came in, he made the adjustments. Then he got the crowd pumped up. He mapped out what he wants to do next. This kid's just really entertaining, man. And he's kind of a sponge. Like when you see him in the gym, I love that he does half his time at Extreme and then half in Mexico. He's just, I feel like you could still mold him more into a better fighter and eventually have something pretty special when you put all of it together. His performance to me was, was uh, very, very good. Mm-hmm. The jab was a nice adjustment and uh, Francisco Prado. Let me say something about that guy. Uh, I really love the way he just generates power in his punches. And it's no shock because Argentina has a pretty decent history in boxing mm-hmm. It's not a rich history like Mexico, we'll say, or Puerto Rico, maybe. Like, in other words, they don't have, like, legions of fighters have done it. But the ones that have uh, can really, really throw hands. So they have pretty, pretty damn good boxing in Argentina. And that guy was brave to come out. And by the way, like Goes mentioned, uh, there was a comment that came out from the Prado camp. And we actually have an article where uh, uh, on MMA Junkie on the front page, if you want to read it, that coach kind of defends – uh, what was said and says maybe some of it was left out in the translation. So if that's of interest to you, check it out. Um, Danny, you were there at the event itself. How about you, man? Who kind of was shining uh, uh, on that particular night that you want to give a spotlight to? I mean, there's so many. I feel like we were looking at the future of Mexico with Sergio, Manuel Torres, Jasmine Jauregui, um, Jesus Aguilar, Edgar Chávez. Uh, but I want to shout out uh, a guy that made his debut uh, Rolando Rodriguez, lazy boy. For those that don't know, he's super loved here in Mexico. He got a huge pop when a huge pop when he walked out to the octagon. Uh, I think he's going to be a star. He's a guy that resonates very much 
with the Mexican crowd. For those that don't know, he comes from Tepito, which is the poorest neighborhood in Mexico City. Um, and he was, a, he was a street vendor. He used to sell candy on, on the streets. Wow. And now look at him making his debut for the UFC. I'm going to try to interview him. Um, you know, not trying to jinx it, knock on wood, fingers crossed. But I want to interview him and, and be able to tell his story in MMA Junkie because he really came from nothing. And uh, he's achieving his dream. Uh, very much like the Pantoja dynamic where he looked at the camera and uh, was like, oh, Dad, are you proud of me now? He, he was saying something in the media day in Spanish. Um, and post my interview, sorry, about something around along the lines of, like, you know, I'm sure my dad is going to fi eventually find out who I am at some point. Um, but that guy's been through a lot, and uh, he's finally realizing his dream of becoming a UFC fighter. And he's got a ton of potential. Apart from having a crazy story, I do think that he has a lot of potential, not only because he resonated with the fan base and he has star power, but the guy's really good, man. And this is what Flyway needs. Names, you know, young talent. I mean, we just talked about how there's so many rematches and trilogies and potentially, you know, um, what are the four fights called? Quadrologies, uh, whatever they're called. Anyways, we need new blood and Ronaldo Rodriguez, lazy boy, is that. So I'm going to shout him out. He, he looked great. Danny, real quick, what's the history between him and his dad? Is his dad still with us, or are they separate? Uh, not, um, not yeah, he was raised by a single mother. His dad just uh, abandoned him when he was a, a kid, and I don't think he's heard of him since. Um, so, yeah, he, he's out there, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that uh, eventually, like, he keeps getting bigger and bigger in Mexico. Um, I don't mean, I, I don't know, but, uh, yeah, his, his story is, is quite remarkable, and, and uh, soon we'll get a piece out on MMA Junkie. Matt, sorry to skip you on that one. Um, let's go to you. Who was your uh, shining star or, you know, under the radar star for the PFL versus Bellator card or the UFC Mexico card? Or, you know what, stick it to me. Make me pay uh, interest there for skipping you. And you can give me one of each if you want. Okay, I'll do that. I'll give you one of each. Uh, first, <laughs> I'll, I'll, stay with, I'll stay with the UFC since we're on there. How can you not overlook what Manuel Torres did opening up the main card guy went out there got the crowd into it first round submission this dude has been absolute fireworks since he's been in the UFC and actually a little bit before that even he recorded a sixth straight first round finish this was his third fight in the UFC all three of them have been first round finishes obviously and all three of them performance of the night bonuses so this is a guy that if you have not been paying attention to you need to mark your calendars anytime this dude is on a on a fight card because he is he is straight entertainment, man. So that is my pick from the UFC side. And I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball going back to the PFL card because we talked a lot about the main card a little bit already earlier in the show. Right. I'm going to go way down to the prelims early on. I'm going to give Clarissa Shields some props because we didn't, we didn't mention her on this card yet. And she went out there and she got a split decision win. Yes, we know what she does in the boxing ring. We know she's still trying to figure out MMA. But she did some kind of impressive things in there. Like, she got stuck in a deep arm bar in the first yes. round of that fight. And it literally looked like her arm was about to snap. But she was like, I'm not, I'm not tapping out. I'm going to figure this out. And she figured out a way to get out and kept fighting. She kept putting her hands on Kelsey DeSantis. I'm going to give her props, man, because she's looking like every time she steps into an octagon or, or into an MMA cage, she's starting to figure it out a little bit more and more. Not quite ready to say that she's going to beat Cyborg in a fight yet, like she said after the fact, but uh, she's getting there. She's getting better and better. So I, I'm going to give her some props for, for showing improvement every time she steps in there. Yeah, I liked her hand fighting, too, against the cage. You know, she did get taken down, but there was a few times where she prevented the takedown. Anytime she's on the feet, she's as deadly as they come, fighting out of the armbar for sure. Here's a couple from the chat. Josh Wallace says, Pico looked great on the prelims. Yeah. Man, Pico's really, really looked good in the last few years for sure. Um, <laughs> there's a joke here. Dixon Butt. <laughs> I like it. Marab. More Mexican than Cejudo. Man, that guy does find a way to make a splash. Yet he wasn't even fighting, but he was out there with a sombrero and a poncho. I loved it. Yo, um, get him to headline Noche with his era. Exactly. <laughs> Pro Fights Info says, uh, goes nailed it. I was watching the fights with my dad, who I'd call a casual, and Zell Huber really stood out to him. But he also throws in, shout out to Agent McKee. Great performance. I got to agree, man. That dude looked jacked. He looked ready. And I loved how he was just so proficient. And now he can fight again and turn it around, you know, because 
that's I think what really it, it, it takes here in this sport is to not get buried on cards and just be ready to perform again. He took a strength and took it away and, and attacked the weakness in Clay Collard, who has spoiled a lot of parties for the PFL from uh, free agents that have come over from the UFC. Mm -hmm. So shout out to him for being uh, so efficient there. We move on, though. Mackenzie Dern, Henry Cejudo, Tony Ferguson, they all want to continue fighting. Everyone's been told maybe this could be it after their recent losses. But I want to know, guys, which fighter can have the most triumphant comeback if things go their way? Matt, back to you. Hmm. I'm going to say Henry Cejudo. And the reason is because I think Marab really is going to do that to literally anybody in this division at this point. <laughs> so I just think it was a nightmare matchup for Henry Cejudo to come back on um, after fighting Aljo, you know, last year. So I think it was a tough matchup. If he does get that fight against Moreno, I think that's a winnable fight for him. Um, and I think he can win still a lot of the fights in the division as long as he's motivated to do so. That's kind of like the question mark for me at this point with Cejudo. Does he still want to? Does he still want to be all in on fighting, or does he just kind of want to show up? You know. So if if he's all in on fighting, then I see. I think he can still beat ninety percent of the division. You know, like it just depends on how much is his heart into it at this point. Mm -hmm. It's a good start. Yeah, for sure. I agree. So Hudo's. I, I I thought he just went into a ran into a freight train, but I still think he fights well. Danny. I'm going to go with Mackenzie Dern. I've, for those that have been following me for quite some time, know that I, uh, I've i been one of Mackenzie Dern's biggest supporters. Every, even before she joined the UFC, I always thought that she could be world champion back when she was fighting. She had that developmental deal and was fighting outside of the outcome, still being a, a UFC fighter, I guess. Um, I, I'm going to die on this hill uh, till the day she retires. I do think she's got a ton of potential. I mean, you just look at her game, and she's got a, a huge advantage over literally the entire roster like female roster like there's no better grappler or at least jiu-jitsu practitioner than Mackenzie Dern and and the adjustments that I feel like she needs to make in order to really achieve her full potential and become champion are not that difficult I, I think obviously easier said than done but literally you just lock up Mackenzie Dern in the Olympic training center for, for wrestling for six months and just let her develop a nasty double like have her work out on her ne neck muscle and a bunch of uh, deadlifts and all of a sudden like you know, you got you got a problem. It's clearly once she has you on the ground, she's a menace. You add a nice double leg, some ground and pound plus uh, her existing jujitsu, and I feel like she she's bound to become champion. So again, it's just really these small adjustments that I feel like Mackenzie Dern just needs to make in order to fully turn the corner. I, I've been hoping for those adjustments for for you know years prior. I still think she's got time. She's just thirty years old. Unlike uh, Ferguson or Sohudo, I do feel like they're athletic years or the best part of their athletic years in the past. So it's mostly about maintaining now. I feel like if Mackenzie Dern and her team don't take short notice fights and actually focus on certain things, I, I think they still have a, a very high ceiling. So I'm going to go with Dern here. But uh, again, I've been dying on this hill every single card, every single fight. And, you know, she, she certainly hit a, a, a limit. Uh, but I'm hoping that, you know, maybe in future fights she, she's able to break that. We'll see. Mm -hmm. No, I hear what you're saying. This might be a bad example, but I thought Claudio Puelas, his, you know, he's got great jits. He's a leg lock guy, right? But it takes the wrestling to get there. And he had great wrestling in that fight. He just came up a little short because he couldn't maintain his positions. He obviously needs to improve his kickboxing. But yeah, some of these fighters that are very good at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, if they can just shore that up and dedicate themselves to wrestling, they can be a nightmare. Goes. How about you, man? Uh, can somebody. Of those three, do something that it would be a, a triumphant comeback for any of them. Uh, man, you guys did me dirty. You left me Tony Ferguson. Uh, I just can't make an argument there for, for him. But I'm going to actually pick somebody outside the box. I agree with both what these guys are saying, especially with Mackenzie Dern. Uh, that's just a skill set that doesn't matter how many losses you have. You plug her into a championship fight. It, she's somebody you have to worry about, right? Uh, but outside the box... When we talk a little bit about retirement and people coming back, Kevin Lee. I think if Kevin Lee, uh, back in the day, he could compete with just about anyone. And it really was more injuries that were hurting him. You know, he had a very well-rounded game. I think if he can get those knees back to 100%, I think he can get some wins here and there. Uh, maybe not five straight, but I, I think he could win three, lose one, that sort of thing. It seems like 
mentally, he's just in a different place now. He seems more happy. And right now he's kind of figuring out that contract deal. You know, is he going to end up back in the UFC? Is he going to go other places? I think that kind of plays a big role in it. But I think he can make a splash if he can get back uh, healthy a little bit. But if I have to pick from the list, then I'm probably going to say uh, I think Mackenzie Dern can mm-hmm. can do something. You know, Kevin Lee was like 15 and 2, 16 and 2 yeah. before he ran into Ferguson at that uh, interim title fight. Uh, and he was doing really, really well. But since then, it hasn't gone well for him. Uh, but he he was a problem for people, man, for sure. He had, you know, great wrestling, jiu-jitsu, uh, and he had started to develop a, a, a kickboxing game. I'm definitely cheering for the guy. He was Vegas guy for a long time. But goes, I will make a little quick plea for Ferguson. This guy won tough, all right? This guy won 12 in a row. This guy has an interim belt, got a lot of respect, even John Annex leading the charge. I think one win, if you can just get out of there with one win, we're not going to forget about the seven-fight losing streak, but I just think it's going to be a nice way to end, and I think it'll be a proper send-off, maybe possibly even into the Hall of Fame. But that's all it takes is one win. I thought maybe Jim Whit Miller might be the opponent or, or just another OG, um, but I, I hope he can pull it off, and that's all we want. I think a lot of Ferguson fans is just one win to erase you know, these last seven fights, and he's put together quite the resume. All right, let's do a couple quick additional. That's how people lose their life savings in Vegas, George. Oh, yeah? <laughs> one more. Just one. The train is gone for Ferguson. Uh, I, I agree with everything that you said in terms of his accolades, but, man, I really worry about him. I don't know. I don't know if you guys uh, kind of got worried with the same comments as well that he made. I haven't heard that. I know he did a recent interview with Till the wheels yeah. fall off, right? Till the wheels fall off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong, man. I, I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth. I have expressed concern before as well, not just for him, but a lot of fighters that have, whether it's been the losses or the concussions and the time put in, we, we want them to remain, you know, great people as well uh, to go along with the great fighting careers that they've had. And I've seen it happen in other sports. I don't want that to happen to these guys and gals. Um, we have time for some quick additionals here, but you guys got to be quick. All right, after hearing Jamal Hill's version of him being courted to headline UFC 300 and his confidence that he's not rushing, you know, the confidence he exuded, obviously, from uh, not rushing back to injury, because we said that, guys, here on Spinning Back Click, does that change your level of excitement for UFC 300's main event? Danny Quick. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't think this fight is UFC 300 worthy of of being a headliner, but if you put it on any other paper, you'd be like, hell yeah, this fight's awesome. Um, I think UFC 300 card is pretty stacked, but because it's 300, you expect that, like, marquee name, that Connor Nate Diaz. But, uh, but yeah, I would say, sure, I'm I'm excited. Goes, what's your level of excitement? Uh, same as Danny, but uh, I, I do kind of trust Jamal a little bit more after hearing yeah. him talk. It's a guy who vacated his own belt just so that he wouldn't have to feel that rush coming back. So I, I have to trust that he's making the right decision here. Matt, you a little more fired up now that we know a little more from Hillside? Yeah, I'm really confident in it. And as somebody who tore his Achilles as well, like I know that recovery process, like it only took me like four months to get back on my feet and I was doing my own PT. Um, so he having literally the best people in the world to help him recover, I'm confident he's going to be in there, going in there 100%, not worrying about that injury. So I'm confident that the fight will be as good as it can possibly be in terms of health and those two guys and going in there and giving it everything that they have. How did you tear your Achilles heel? Stealing a base, dunking the ball? What would you do? Playing basketball, pick up basketball, grabbed a rebound, turned to, to start the fast break, thought somebody kicked my leg out from under me. As I was going to the ground, I turned like angry. I was ready to yell at somebody like who kicked my leg out, turned around. There was nobody standing there. Uh, and I immediately knew what happened. So yeah, What's that, Danny? Isn't that how Jamal Hill also tore his Achilles? Yeah, he tore his basketball as well at the at the fighter game in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, we'll finish with you. All right, on this one, Michael Chandler has given assurances, or has said that he's got assurances that his fight with Conor McGregor is still going down. Will the juice be worth the squeeze and the wait? if he does fight and defeat Conor McGregor. Remember, man, we're pushing two years here uh, for Chandler and uh, three going on four, I believe, with McGregor. 
Um, now I need Connor to show up on a WWE show and cut a promo on Chandler <laughs> um, to get to, you know, to even it out. But yeah, I think if it actually happens, I mean, look, we've got we've got uh, tons of footage, a lot, whole lot of story here. If they don't make it happen at this point, it'd be more disappointing than anything else. Great job, guys, this week. Danny, thanks for checking in. You did a great job covering the event for us out in Mexico. Matt, great to see you on back-to-back weeks. Goes a pillar here on MMA Junkie Radio. Folks, you can uh, still catch the show, obviously, on replay. It's immediately up. As soon as you see it, it's also available as a podcast on Tuesdays. You can grab it at Omni Podcast, uh, that platform, or where you grab MMA Junkie Radio, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. So, again, if you can't catch us live, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Mondays, there's plenty of places to grab the show in its entirety. Uh, with that, we're out of here. Thanks for tuning in. If you can... If you enjoyed what you heard, hit the like button on the way out. We'd greatly appreciate it. We'll, we'll check you all out in about a week. Go out and be a champion. Peace.